Chapter Twenty Three of My Reminiscences by Rabindranath Tagore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three, The Bharati. On the whole, the period of which I am writing was for me one of ecstatic excitement. Many a night have I spent without sleep, not for any particular reason, but from a mere desire to do the reverse of the obvious. I would keep up reading in the dim light of our schoolroom all alone. The distant church clock would chime every quarter, as if each passing hour, as being put up to auction, and the loud harry bowls of the bearers of the dead, passing along Chitpur Road on their way to Nimtola cremation ground, would now and then resound through some summer moonlight nights. I would be wandering about like an unquiet spirit among the lights and shadows of the tubs and pots on the garden of the roof terrace. Those who would dismiss this as sheer poetizing would be wrong. The very earth, in spite of its having aged considerably, surprises us occasionally by its departure from sober stability. In the days of its youth, when it had not become hardened and crusty, it was effusively volcanic and indulged in many a wild escapade, in the days of man's first youth, the same sort of thing happens, so long as the materials which go to form his life have not taken on their final shape, they are apt to be turbulent in the process of their formation. This was the time when my brother, Jyotirendra, decided to start the Bharati with our eldest brother as editor, giving us fresh foot for enthusiasm. I was then just sixteen. But I was not left out of the editorial staff. A short time before, in all the insolence of my youthful vanity, I had written a criticism of the Mekhanadabada. As acidity is characteristic of the unripe mango, so is the abuse of the immature critic. When other powers are lacking, the power of pricking seems to be at its sharpest. I had thus sought immortality by leaving my scratches on that immortal epic. This impudent criticism was my first contribution to the Bharati. In the first volume, I also published a long poem called Kavikahini, the poet's story. It was the product of an age when the writer had seen nothing of the world except an exaggerated image of his own nebulous self. So the hero of the story was naturally a poet, not the writer as he was, but as he imagined or desired himself to be seen. It would hardly be correct to say that he desired to be what he portrayed. That represented more what he thought was expected of him. What would make the world admiringly nod and say, yes, a poet indeed, quite the correct thing. In it was a great parade of universal love, that pet subject of the budding poet, which sounds as big as it is easy to talk about, while yet any truth has not dawned upon one's own mind and others' words are one's only stock in trade, simplicity and restraint in expression, are not possible. Then, in the endeavour to display magnified, that which is really big in itself, it becomes impossible to avoid a grotesque and ridiculous exhibition. When I blush to read these effusions of my boyhood, I am also struck with the fear that, very possibly in my later writings, the same distortion, wrought by straining after effect, lurks in a less obvious form. The loudness of my voice, I doubt not, 
often drowns the things I would say, and some day or other time will find me out. The Kavikahini was the first work of mine to appear in book form. When I went with my second brother to Ahmedabad, some enthusiastic friend of mine took me by surprise by printing and publishing it and sending me a copy. I cannot say that he did well, but the feeling that was roused in me at the time did not resemble that of an indignant judge. He got his punishment, however, not from the author, but from the public who hold the purse strings. I have heard that the dead load of the books lay, for many a long day, heavy on the shelves of the booksellers and the mind of the luckless publisher. Writings of the age at which I began to contribute to the Bharati cannot possibly be fit for publication. There is no better way of ensuring repentance at maturity than to rush into print too early. But it has one redeeming feature, the irresistible impulse to see one's writings in print exhausts itself during early life. Who are the readers? What do they say? What printer's errors have remained uncorrected? These and the like worries run in their course as infantile maladies and leave one leisure in later life to attend to one's literary work in a healthier frame of mind. Bengali literature is not old enough to have elaborated those internal checks which can serve to control its votaries. As experience in writing is gained, the Bengali writer has to evolve the restraining force from within himself. This makes it impossible for him to avoid the creation of a great deal of rubbish during a considerable length of time. The ambition to work wonders with the modest gifts at one's disposal is bound to be an obsession in the beginning, so that the effort to transcend at every step one's natural powers and therewith the bounds of truth and beauty is always visible in early writings. To recover one's normal self, to learn to respect one's powers as they are, is a matter of time. However that may be, I have left much of youthful folly to be ashamed of, besmirching the pages of the Bharati, and this shames me not for its literary defects alone, but for its atrocious impudence, its extravagant excesses, and its high-sounding artificiality. At the same time, I am free to recognize that the writings of that period were pervaded with an enthusiasm, the value of which cannot be small. It was a period to which, if error was natural, so was the boyish faculty of hoping, believing, and rejoicing. And if the fuel of error was necessary for feeding the flame of enthusiasm, then while that which was fit to be reduced to ashes will have become ash, the good work done by the flame will not have been in vain in my life. End of chapter 23 Read by Lambda